great to be here once again this evening to bring God's word to you. And uh, as you're possibly aware, those of you who came last week, uh, we spoke on the topic of doubt. And uh, doubt is prevalent when we ask questions about who God is, what his character is really like. And um, tonight, we're going to be speaking on assurance. And this is predominantly about not questioning who God is or what his character is like, but this is more about... Can that God who is there really accept me? Is there some way that he can accept me exactly where I am? Or is he a God who, because of my sin and because of the way I live and because he's so holy, there's this distance between us? And so the bedrock, the foundation of our faith are that God exists, that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ died for sinners that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, that he ascended into heaven. He's now seated at God's right hand and he intercedes for us and he's coming back. He's coming back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. They're the foundations of our faith. And so we don't question that when we come to this assurance. We're sure about those things. But a question whether I am personally saved because of these facts and I wonder how I can possibly know that I can be saved and that I am saved so before we get into this let's just pause and pray father God I thank you so much that we can be gathered in this place this evening and again Lord we just want to hear your truth we want to hear what you have to say and so father I pray that you'll take the rest of this service for your glory and for your name and that we will learn from it and we will go from this place change people because of how you speak to us, how you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So those who lack assurance of salvation have failed to claim or realize that once we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, turning away from them, then we have eternal security. It's a spiritual reality. Scripture tells us, and we can stand upon those facts. And so whether we believe in that or not is in a lot of ways irrelevant because God's word is true. It is trustworthy. And if God's word never changes. And so if he says it, that's it. We can be assured of it. So the passage we read earlier, 1 John 5, 10 and 12 is part of that. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him... Oh, sorry. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. An incredibly powerful passage of scripture. One of the first I ever memorized. Absolutely love it. It is just mind-blowing. And this passage says that whoever believes the Son of God as Lord and Saviour has the testimony within themselves. This is speaking about Holy Spirit that indwells us. When we give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we repent and ask Jesus to be our Lord and Saviour, He gives us the free gift of Holy Spirit. And so we have that seal within us. And those who've made the declaration have Holy Spirit. They have this divine testimony in their hearts. And so as you read the word, as you pray, as you move through life, you daily experience more and more evidence of Jesus in your life. You see him moving amongst your friends. You see him moving through you. And that's because of Holy Spirit in you. 
And you grow in love for the Son of God and you grow in appreciation for the fact that he died for us and for you. But even if we were to put that affirmation aside, that internal affirmation of Holy Spirit, if we were to put that aside, there's external evidence in Scripture that says we can be sure that we are saved. If we have believed in the Son, then we have eternal life. That's what this passage of Scripture actually says. If we choose not to believe that, verse 10 says, you are making God out to be a liar. That's what it says. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty bad place to go, in my opinion. And so we have to get back to the foundations of what our faith is. Do we believe the Bible is God's word? And if we do, then we need to stand upon this promise, knowing that once we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, we are saved. There is no further need to question it. And so I could say, let's just close in prayer. I've told you what you need to hear. You're now firm in your foundations of faith. That's possibly not going to help you though, is it? So let's have a look at a few things. If you are unsure of your salvation or not, the first thing that we have to ask is, have you truly given your life to Jesus? And for a lot of people, they think this is a no-brainer in the church. Why would you even ask the question, why are we here unless we had done this? I have to tell you, I am continuously amazed at the people who come to faith who've been in the church for years. And no one bothered to ask them if they'd given their life to Jesus. They just became part of the church, a pretty good bunch of people that they were hanging with. And so they thought, yep, I'm just going to be part of this community. But no one had challenged them about whether they had given their life to Jesus Christ. And so... Think about that within the church community we're sitting in right now. The person beside you may not have given their life to Jesus. And all you have to do is ask the question. And if you don't like saying, have you truly given your life to Jesus? You can say, so when did you give your life to Jesus? Tell me your story. And if they can't articulate that, tell them about what Christ did for you. Tell them about the incredible things God's doing in your life and encourage them to make that step. So, we're going down this path tonight. So for every one of you here tonight, I'm asking you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? You need to answer that question. John 3, 16 to 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God and part of accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior is realizing that God has this incredibly deep love for us. It's what drove Jesus to come to earth in the first place. It's what drove him to be a man. And he loves you right now, right where you are. There is no need to change anything about your life before you come to Jesus. He doesn't call you to change. He loves you unconditionally. He wants a relationship with you. And I can testify to you, that when I was at my worst, Jesus loved me. And Jesus 
came to me. He pursued me. And he invited me to have a life with him. He poured his love out upon me. He allowed me to know I was accepted. And I stood in this incredible grace that he continues to pour out on me, even today. And to get to that point, we have to realize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to acknowledge that we have got it wrong, that we have sinned. Now I know when we start talking about sin, people sort of put the shutters down and things like that. But let's just talk about sin for a moment. Even in our church context, we have this incredible habit of comparing myself to those around me. You know, I'm not a murderer like him. I'm not a thief like him. I haven't done the things that she has done. And it's when we compare ourselves to each other that we really don't understand what God is about. We form this habit that if we don't murder, if we don't steal, if we're not like that person, we're okay. But even doing that is a sin. Comparing yourself to others. You're comparing yourself so you can justify your own actions. You're comparing yourself so you can elevate yourself above someone else. That's pride and ego. You have big issues. And I was just like that. I really was. So the problem here is you become self-righteous. You begin to downplay your own sinfulness and you're not a bad person after all. And you elevate yourself above the others and you seem to escalate their sins so they look like very bad people and you're not so bad after all. But that is not the way God does things. All have sinned. And the all here means everyone. It includes me. When we think about the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's done that perfectly? I don't have my hand up. I'm just asking for a show of hands. And you know, we should think about that. When we think that we've got it right, have we really carried out those first two commandments? I mean, that's only two of them. And if you've broken one, you've might as well have broken them all. We fall short so desperately of God, God's standards. Not because God has this standard that you have to live up to, but because God is so pure, God is so righteous, God is so good, he is just so holy. And in comparison, we are just way down that list. And it leaves us in a position where there's nothing we can do for ourselves. And so Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the incredible thing is, it doesn't matter what you're thinking right now, God knows. It doesn't matter how far you think you are from God. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. He knows. And he loves you anyway. And he wants a relationship with you. You know, God has every right to wipe us out. But he says, no, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bring this people back into a relationship with me and I will do it. And what we need to realize is there's nothing that I can do in order to restore my rightful relationship with God. There's no steps that I can take which would bring me into a position where I can say, well, God, I've repaid you for all the sins that I've committed. 
There's no effort great enough, no work or sacrifice large enough to cover my wrongs or to pay for my wrongs. And Jesus is the only way. For all who received him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. Isn't that mind-blowing? This isn't just about forgiveness. This isn't just about God saying, well, okay, good boy, good girl, your sins are forgiven. He's like, I I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to have equal footing with Jesus. You have the same right to the inheritance that he has. And that's what he does for us. That's what he wants for us. And all we need to do is accept the free gift of Jesus. Believe that God wants you, that he wants a relationship with you. He loves you and he desires you not to be a minion, not to run around and do all his bidding. He wants you to be his sons and his daughters. It's incredible. The second thing is, Do you presently trust God for your salvation? So you've given your life to Jesus and that's a historical event. But do you presently trust God for your salvation? When we give our lives to Jesus, you know, that's not the end. We speak about our justification. That's that first step when you realize that you have sinned, that you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so this is that first step in being put back into right relationship with God. We call that justification. This is about your sanctification. This is the ongoing work of Holy Spirit in your life where each and every day you say, you know what, Lord, I want to be with you. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to repent of my old ways. I'm going to put to death my old self, my selfish desires and things like that and I'm going to live for you every day it should be you and me Jesus what are we going to do and so we see Paul in Colossians writing to these new Christians these are guys who've just given themselves to Christ fully and he talks to them about the life that they have in Christ and he warns them about false teachers and things like that and he says you know what put away those guys don't listen to them Stand upon the word that we taught you. Think about what we said. And he's encouraging them on to maturity. He wants to spur them on in the faith. He wants to to see them to be all that they could be. And so he says to them, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, listen to this, holy and blameless, and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. That is sanctification. The daily setting apart our hopes, our desires, our selfish ambitions, and putting to death those things that were hostile or opposed to God, everything, and trusting him, saying, Lord, here I am, use me. It's about continually returning to Christ and asking his forgiveness. Repentance is a big thing in scripture, but we don't seem to preach it much in the church. Maybe I have since I've been here. Sorry about that. Nah, not. Repentance is about continually coming back to God and saying, I've messed up again. I need you more and more. And we have to repent. Otherwise, we put a barrier between us and God. And he doesn't want that barrier to be there, but he's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to 
encroach upon you. He just waits patiently for you to come back to him and say, Lord, I've messed up again. Prodigal son, he waits there with his arms outstretched, longing for you to return to him, longing to again encourage you. Think of Peter stepping out of the boat. I mean, I love this dude. Peter steps out, he's walking on the water. Can you imagine what that first step was like? And he gets out and he's walking on the water and then he begins to doubt and he sinks. Jesus doesn't go, thickhead, what are you doing? He says, why did you doubt? What did he do? He lifts him back up on the water. How did they get back to the boat? They walked on the water. Jesus is going to do the same for you. When you mess up and you come back to him, He's not going to give you a slap across the back of the head. He's going to lift you up. He's going to walk back to the boat with you. He's going to encourage you to do incredible things such as walking on water. It's what he wants for us. And he does this because he wants us to be presented on that day holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's what scripture says. And and can you imagine, he wants to celebrate that. He's going to say, hey God, this is Charlie. I know you know who it is, but man, he messed up. He messed up so much, but he kept coming back. And I was able to strengthen him in his faith every time he came back. And, And he persevered. Even though that evil one was talking in his ear saying how bad he was, he kept coming back. And because we keep coming back, Jesus imparts his righteousness upon us. And when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. How incredible is that? And that's what he wants to do for each one of us. And so... We need to live a life of obedience to Jesus and his teaching. Each of us right now need to ask ourselves these things. Am I confident and comfortable in the biblical truth that Jesus forgives my sins when I confess them to him? And he will take me, he will take you, blameless into his presence in glory. Do you believe that? You should. That's what the scripture says. Do I have confidence in my heart that I am saved? Do you believe Jesus Christ has saved you? If each of us were to die right now and stand before God's judgment seat, will we think about our lives and the good we did or will we without hesitation fall on the merits of Jesus Christ and confidently lean on him as our saviour? Is that what we would do? If you were to die tonight, are you going to heaven or hell? When we think of the testimony of Jesus in our lives, do we reflect on any historic conversion experience? Or do we speak about the living God who is active in our lives today? And I know those of you who've been around me, those of you who are in our life group, those of you who come to the prayer and praise nights, in fact, those of you who come to anything I organize, first thing we do is talk about those God moments. Because I want you to see God is alive and real. He's doing things in your lives. We just don't recognize it. And we need to be looking with those spiritual eyes. We need to be inviting God into our days. Those guys 
here who I've said you need to pray for divine appointments each and every day when they pray for the divine appointments it takes a little while for them to recognize them but before too long they start talking about these incredible things that God is doing because they've prayed for a divine appointment these people they thought would never talk about faith are suddenly talking to them about faith they want to know about Jesus they want to know about what they did on the weekend and they are astounded that they go to church tell me about church tell me what you learned and that's an exciting thing to have God doing this for us. We are his ambassadors. He wants us to do that. The third point tonight is there evidence of a transformed life. You can say you're Christian. You can come here. You can do the right things. But is your life truly transformed? So many people, when you talk about a transformed life, they'll tell you about their years of service in the local church. They'll tell you about the ministries that they headed up. They'll tell you about how great that ministry ran during their time of running that ministry. And that is not evidence of a transformed life. If that's all you've got, I'll go back to point number one. Have you truly given your life to Jesus? And I'll make no apology for that. A transformed life begins with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 15 and 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the Holy Spirit gives testimony that we are now children of God. That's an incredible privilege. And in addition to this, if Holy Spirit is generally at work in our lives, then we'll be aware of his work. We will see what he is doing. And we will have lives that are submitted to God and his authority. And if we are truly submitted to God and his authority, we will have lives that produce fruit. And we think about what Paul says about producing fruit. This is what he says in Galatians 5, to 24. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This isn't about whether we perfectly reflect these traits, but it's about whether we are growing in all these attributes, whether we can see that we are moving along that path. Is the influence you have on others one of edifying them, building them up in the faith, strengthening them in the things of God, or are we tearing them down? Are you one of these people who says positive things or are you one of these people who says negative things? If others were to speak of you, would they say that you've encouraged them? And when you think quietly on your own, when you examine your heart of hearts, what is it you truly desire from life? What is it that you value and pursue? And so when you serve alongside Christian brothers and sisters, do they see that you're building others up? Do they see that you're encouraging people? Is the influence you have on others edifying for them, urging them on to greater commitment in Christ and celebrating the things that God has done in, through and around them, with them? Are you known as someone who prays for those people around you and who cares genuinely for each other? Because the reality is, that's how we'll be recognized. By the fruit 
that is produced from our lives. And part of this fruit is recognised through obeying God and his clear teachings. Don't confuse this with a works-based theology. That's not what we're talking about. We're saved by grace through faith and grace alone. It's not by anything that we can do. We can't attain our salvation. But is the author and perfecter of our faith. And if our faith is genuine and true, we'll live a life that is characterised by righteousness. And our desire will be to model that life that Jesus once modelled for us. He is our greatest example. And if we're not obeying the commandments... Oh, I mean, sorry, we don't obey the commandments because we have to. We obey his commandments because we want to. It's evidence of our love for him. 1 John 2, 3 and 6 says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Our lives are to be lives that imitate Jesus. What we do, what we say, how we think, and more importantly, how we treat our Christian brothers and sisters. Because we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers Whoever does not love abides in death. You're calling God a liar again. Final point. Are you growing in Christ? The previous points that I've mentioned have to do with your faith and with the evidence of Holy Spirit in your life. This point is about whether your faith is increasing. Are we growing 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 10 of this same chapter, Peter tells us if we continue, as in if we make every effort, not a half-hearted effort, every effort, a concerted effort to practice these things, then they will increase. And increasing these traits or virtues in our lives will cause us to what? Not fall. These are things that is to be added to our faith. And we are to abound in them. And in so doing, we'll be more diligent in confirming our call and election as children of God, as ambassadors and as valued servants of the one true God. And what this is saying is, each and every year, as we add these character traits in our lives, we'll gain greater and greater assurance of our salvation. And I know when I was young, I wasn't so sure of my salvation. And now I have those moments where I was like, oh Lord, take me home now. I just can't wait to be there. I want 
to be in eternity. I want to be face to face with my Lord and Saviour. And I know some of our young people, it's been a pleasure to speak with them, to pray with them, to sing praises with them. They've got this incredible confidence in the security of their salvation. And the incredible thing is that that confidence and assurance can and will go deeper as they move on in life and as they continue to obey Jesus. And as together we move towards Christian maturity. We never attain full maturity this side of eternity. None of us. We should all remain teachable. We should all remain people who are seeking God and wanting more of Him. And so tonight is all about assurance of salvation. And as we wrap this up and what assurance looks like, it's clear from Scripture that if we continue to add these things, we're not going to fall. We're going to stand fast. We're going to have an assurance of our salvation. Our lives will continue to be those lives that are fruitful for our Lord. We'll be those willing, sanctified, holy instruments in his hands, ready to do whatever he bids us to do. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. When it comes to our relationship with God and what he calls us to do, we should say, yes. Now, what was the question, God? Because he has our best interests at heart. He knows what is good for us. And he has our work already mapped out. I think one of the questions that we're asked frequently as pastors is, would I be able to persevere to the end? If I was under serious pressure and persecution, would I persevere? And hopefully you've seen from this brief discussion of this topic, the scripture provides the assurance that we can, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. 1 Peter 1.5 says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, speaking about the believers, for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. We need to stand on these promises of Scripture that we've heard this evening. If you've been able to see through this that you have a faith in Christ, then you should be able to say that you have a faith, that you are truly born again, and you will persevere to the end, because God is guarding you through His power, isn't that an incredible assurance? If God said it, we can believe it. So these are our points this evening. Have you truly given your life to Jesus? Do you presently trust God for your salvation? Is there evidence in your life of a transformed life? And are you growing in Christ? These each need to be evident in your life to show a life being lived for Jesus. So the question tonight is, is there any evidence of Jesus in your life? Is Holy Spirit working in and through you, transforming you, that you may become each and every day more like Jesus? When you reflect on the past year, are you closer to Jesus now than you were at this time last year? Or have you stagnated? Are you not moving forward? What are the things that are hindering you? Let's think about that. The only things that can hinder you is that your life is not truly surrendered to Jesus. 
Or secondly, there is something preventing you from moving on. Perhaps that is unconfessed or habitual sin. Perhaps you have never truly believed. You've gone through the motions, you've lived off your parents' faith perhaps, or a friend's faith, but you've never truly believed. And the final point, perhaps you're not being obedient to God's call upon your life. Tonight, tonight is the night to sort it out. I ask that you don't put it off. People sit in these pews and they have a stirring in their heart. Some people choose to push back against that, say stupid things like, Charlie's speaking against me personally. And that's never the case. If Holy Spirit is speaking to you tonight, if you have that stirring in your heart that you need to do something about this, that's between you and God. He's the one who has prompted you. And so that question needs to be answered tonight. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? Would it be heaven or would it be hell? Don't evade the question. It's one or the other. There's no in-between. And so many people have tragically died. Unexpectedly. It could be you tonight. God wants you to know about the life he has planned for you. He wants you to know the security of the future that you have in him. If you've been able to say yes to all of these questions and points tonight, that is awesome. Praise God. I know there's some great Christian people here and that is absolutely fantastic. It's great that you have that assurance of salvation. Let's be talking about it. Just how God just wells up in our hearts and he just does these incredible things for us. But for the rest of us, you know, you can believe him. You can trust him. His word says it. I know I invite you down the front to pray and I say, I'm so excited when people come forward to pray and that's, that's true. You come forward tonight. It's not going to be about me. God's going to be excited. The angels are going to dance in heaven. I'll be excited. You won't get me to dance, but I'll be excited. And so I urge you, if God has been stirring your heart, just come forward. Let's pray. I'd love to do that with you. And uh, Joe and the team will come up and uh, we'll do a final song. Just come up during that song or I'll be sitting down here after the service. Feel free to come up and talk or pray. Uh, we would love to do that. But don't put this off. If God has been speaking to you, there's no one that you need to be embarrassed in front of here. People will just rejoice that you've made that step. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence here tonight. Thank you for the gift of Holy Spirit. Thank you for the assurance that we can have of salvation. And Lord, I pray that um, what has been spoken tonight has provided that assurance to people. And Lord, I know that you've been speaking to people this evening. I know that you've been stirring hearts. So Lord, we need courage sometimes. Father, we need to do business with you. And I pray that you will stir up those hearts even more, that they will come forward for prayer, Lord, that they will make that commitment. It could be a first-time commitment, Lord. It could be a recommitment to you. It could be a declaration that they know they need to get more serious about their faith in you. So, Lord, will you just stir those hearts, bring them forward. Let us have a great celebration, Lord, of the great work that you have done.
And Lord, I want to thank you for the people who faithfully serve here at SDBC, those who have faithfully followed you for years. Will you continue to stir them on to greater works for you, Lord? Will you complete the good work that you have started in them? And Lord, will we just see great things happen here, not because of who we are, but because of who you are and the incredible work you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.